Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here. That's what you've earned here tonight. We stay with them. And we shut them down because we can. Baker takes the snap. Rolls right. Throws down the middle. And Joku's got it. 5, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Nick Schaub. Odell Beckham Jr. 89-yard touchdown. Miles Garrett did it, Doug. Around the horn he came. Rang the bell and said, Hello, Dog Pound Nation. Um, it is with sad, sad news that I report the Cleveland Browns playoff miracle run is over. Uh, thanks to NFL referees. We won't get into that. But by the hands of the KFC Chiefs and... Uh, the KFC Chiefs? I, that's right. That's what I said. The KFC Chiefs. I will give Kansas City all the credit in the world. They played us. They played us hard this game. And the fact that we were able to stay in it like we did and had that shot to win, Mm -hmm. even with the questionable refereeing this game, which speaks volumes to what the Browns' future holds. It really does. It really does. It's sad that tonight is our (laughs) season finale episode, but we have a jam-packed season finale episode for all you. And uh, Jason, why don't you give the audience some news? And first of all, don't think that this is going to be the last episode we're going to do until the Browns season starts up next year. NFL draft. We've got the NFL draft. We're going to be doing, uh, hopefully, we'll be doing a live broadcast of that. I'd like to. I think that'd be a good idea. Do a live stream Um, of the NFL draft. I want to say we should be doing also another few episodes. Like if we have any major offseason news, we'll either post that on our Facebook page or We'll end up if it's big enough news. We'll do like a little mini episode on it. Uh huh. Oh yeah. If if there's a worthwhile free agent signing that's really going to be a big part of the future of the team, we will definitely do an episode if we have to for that. All right. And the big news that we have to report is that at the end of this um, game review that we are going to be doing, uh, we have a special little treat for all of you. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we were contacted by the host of the Cleveland podcast, uh, Cesar Cleveland. Um, we will be doing uh, interviews, essentially, between the two of us, going back and forth, answering a few questions for his podcast. Yeah, he uh, sent us over a few questions he's going to use in his uh, special Brown Season and Review podcast. So Jason and I will be featured on his Season and Review. So we're very excited for that because uh, – That'll give this podcast more exposure, and plus you'll get to hear us on on a different uh, different podcast other than the ones that we do. So let's go ahead and dive right into this game, shall we? Yeah, um, let's do that. So let's get to our stats here. All right. All right, so. let's start off here. Mayfield with the untimely interception. Yeah, I can't complain about it, though. I mean, his first interception, he's how many games. But it wasn't even just that. It was his first interception in, I think it was 369 straight attempts. Was it really that many? I think so. That's what I heard. It was either 369 or 169. I forget which. That's impressive. But he won a good stretch without uh, having an interception thrown. It just, you know, it sucks that the season ender for us, he threw an interception. It's unfortunate, but at the same time, when you look at the consecutive uh, completion attempts that he had uh, with no interceptions, and the fact that the interception also didn't cost them in this game, it resulted in the Chiefs' punt anyway. Uh, the Browns weren't driving in the situation either, so it was an interception that basically went on deaf ears because it just didn't affect what happened in the game. Yeah. But it's so unfortunate to see, for, especially after what we've been able to do this year, that mm-hmm. we ended like we did because the questionable play, uh, questionable refereeing in question here was that missed helmet to helmet call that cost us a touchdown. I don't know how this call was missed. It happens right in front of the referee. And, and why is it not reviewable in the NFL when it's reviewable in college? I don't understand that either. Like exactly. Like you said, if it's reviewable in college, how is it not reviewable in the NFL? Not to mention the fact that hit is what caused that fumble to happen into the end zone that caused the touchback for the Chiefs. Well, that ended up giving them another, what was it, six or three points. Yeah, they scored a touchdown, I think, on that drive, I believe. So that cost us the game right there. It, it basically if that, did. If that score, because he reached out, he had that touchdown. Mm-hmm. If that helmet-to-helmet hit didn't happen, Yep. We'd be talking about a completely different story here. We'd be talking about the Browns facing the Bills tonight. We wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. We'd be watching the Browns and the Bills. So, speaking of uh, championship games going on, uh, announcing that uh, the Buccaneers just punched their ticket into the Super Bowl, beat the Green Bay Packers 31-26. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady First returns. team in NFL history to host a Super Bowl in their stadium. Doesn't seem right. You know, neutral sites should always be the case no matter what. And I know they can't help that it happened to happen that way. But it just doesn't seem right. I mean, basically, it's a Tampa Bay home game. And that's just, that's that's bogus. I agree, but hey, what can you do? Nothing you can do. So, getting into the stat line here. Baker, 23 of 37 for a 204. TD and one interception. Nothing to write home about. It was a decent game. He didn't make many mistakes. I think Baker did enough in this game for the Browns to win. It just came down to the defense was just downright sloppy the whole first half. Yeah, and 
not to mention Andrew Barry has gone on record to say like that's what they have to focus on in the offseason. And I'm not glad to hear to it. Pick up, try, not picking up any more offensive help, not mm-hmm. trying to pick up defensive line because our defensive line is pretty good as it is. Yeah, another piece there would would, 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 would help, but yeah, um, that's not the problem. But yeah, it's our secondary, our linebackers that are going to need all the help we can get right now, especially considering we've got, I think, five of our defensive players going up onto free agency this year. Which, to be honest, I'm not really too worried about really any of them going. I think Ver- Vernon made a case at the end of the year to maybe maybe potentially sign him for another year Vernon, or two. Vernon, that second half of the season, made his statement that he needs to be on this team. Yeah, I would sign him for another, for another maybe two years to see if he continues his streak. But if you had to decide on who's worthwhile keeping in our secondary, who would you keep, or maybe none of them, for that matter? Uh, Denzel Ward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No question. We need that. to keep Denzel Ward. Um, Greedy Williams. I'm not gonna write him off just yet. I think he can be a great help for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just have to find the right fit for him. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what Grant Delpit can do uh, this upcoming season once he's back healthy. It was very unfortunate for him to be out the whole year because I really wanted to see what he was capable of because we heard a lot about him when he was drafted and we have not gotten the chance to see what we got from him. Uh, especially considering that they they called the Delpit pick in the second round an absolute steal for Cleveland. Yeah. So basically the Browns could could have a great uh, secondary guy already on their roster and, you know, we're not, we, don't, we don't even know it yet. No, it's, we don't. But hopefully we'll be finding out come – uh, the rest of the year coming up. I'm hoping he stays healthy and has a good training camp. Exactly. Uh, so, rushing attack. Chubb leading our way, 13 carries to 69 yards. Uh, Kareem Hunt, six carries for 32 and a TD. And then Mayfield with uh, three carries for 11. I was very disappointed that Kareem Hunt didn't have a big game. I was really hoping he would and thought he would, considering he was going back to KC. You know, well, you also got to keep in mind too. It they really didn't utilize him at all until the second half of the game. True, and I don't know why. I don't know why they didn't turn him in the first half at all. I, I maybe it was uh, nerves. I guess they were. Maybe, maybe they thought that you know it was going to be the over eagerness for him to play against his former team mm-hmm. to uh, try and overperform, and that maybe they were afraid it would cause some mistakes. I don't know. Potentially. Uh, I don't know. Uh, People have questioned some of Stefanski's decisions here, but hey, look, at the end of the day, if we're going to question a few decisions based on an entire season run from Stefanski, I think him winning coach of the year proves that a few mistakes all coaches make. Yeah. The fact, first time, first year head coach, uh, first time head coaching at all, Mm -hmm. and he leads the Browns from three years ago going 0-16 and the horrible years that we've endured to this year going 11 and 5 and or no sorry yeah 11 and 5 and making playoffs mhm yeah i mean the think of it this way the browns finished 12 and 6 overall in the season as a whole i mean did anybody think that when the browns were going to play 18 games this year let alone win 12 of those hell no no not at all mhm so i mean it's a well-deserved like, coach if you, look, if you look back at our early episodes, like when we started this podcast this year, mm-hmm. I mean, me and you both had a prediction like it was going to be about like 10 and 6. 
Yeah, look at the high point. Yeah, we said eleven and five, maybe tops, but ten and six was our basically our high point, and they reached it and then some. So I have no complaints about this year as a whole. I just can't complain. No, I don't at all. Mm-mm. We did really well this year. There was obviously a lot of things we could improve upon, but it's looking like uh, our GM is going to be taking those steps to correct that. I, it's my personal belief, and I might be going on a little bit of a limb here, but I really finally believe in this prediction that I think that if the Browns go out and they are able to get the necessary pieces on defense and build them up and be you know, a formidable opponent on defense, I think the Browns could be a potential favorite to make the Super Bowl next year. Oh, easily, especially considering that we have one of the scariest offensive lines this year. Mm-hmm. I, what can you do to really break through that offensive line? You really haven't you seen can't. Mayfield pressured a whole lot this year. No, Mayfield, I think, I forget where I read it, but I think it was um, Skip Bayless said that the Browns actually had probably the best offensive line in football this year. And it wouldn't surprise me at all. Mm-mm. And it was because of the two simple additions in uh, Jedrick Wills, uh, left tackle, and Jack Conklin. Yeah, um, Conklin ended up being a signing that actually came through. I mean, we know in past years the Browns have picked up these good players and they've all been busts. But for the first time, I mean, the last couple of years, the Browns have gone out and got players that have actually proved their worth. Yeah, and it just goes to show we're making the correct decisions finally. Long overdue. Uh, and I think finally the Browns really have the right people in place to run this team effectively for the next 10 years. I, I really do. Easily. We've got a team, finally, that the Cleveland fan base deserves. Yep. Yep. For all the years that we, a lot of us have remained loyal to the Browns, even through the worst of the moments that we've ever had, mm-hmm. to now, we've finally gotten a team that Cleveland deserves. Long overdue. The years of 20 years of waiting have finally paid off for all of us, and let's just hope it continues, because I don't think there's any question this team's going to stay good the next 10 years, or at least the next five years. Let's hope so. One can hope, right? Yeah. Let's go down to the receiving game. So we had Richard Higgins leading the charge for us with five receptions, 88 yards. Mm-hmm. Not bad, uh, Higgins, man. Reli- oh, reliable. Yeah. Uh, Najoku, four receptions for 59 yards. It was really nice seeing him getting out there and putting in the effort. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I think Najoku has made the case that maybe he needs to stay on this team. It's possible, especially considering he's gotten to play in the playoffs finally. He's gotten Mm -hmm. a taste of what that feels like. Maybe he's going to end up changing his mind on the whole wanting to be traded drama and all that and realizing that this is where he deserves to be. I think he does. And I wonder if, if by the by the playoff stretch they made, if he's actually made the case to stay here and he wants to stay here. I really hope so. We deserve we deserve to have the the team that we have right now. I don't well, want to see many changes. No, and I I don't know who's going to be on this team next year that, that, that that's or that's here now. Um, I, people have been making really stupid ass comments online about you know, oh, should the Browns trade Landry for this or that? I'm thinking, why would you want to trade Jarvis Landry? He's been the heart and soul of this team for the last three years. 
He really has. And with Higgins there as a good secondary uh, receiver for Mayfield, you can't beat it. No. No. And, and I, mean, I do want to report that uh, it was really good hearing and seeing uh, in the, in the uh, news and all that that Andrew Barry is doing everything he can to make sure that Beckham is with us next year. Beckham has gone on record saying, like, he wants to be in Cleveland. Well, it comes down to why wouldn't he be? I mean, they're obviously a Super Bowl contender team, and if he goes anywhere else now, he's not really going to go anywhere right now that's going to be just as good, if, if better, than where the Browns are at. The Browns have tremendous upside right now. Absolutely, and I think that'll give Beckham some determination next season. I think you're going to see Odell Beckham at his best next year. I really do. Uh, I think we're going to see a career year from Beckham next year. Mm-hmm. I think Absolutely. we're going to see. I, I think we might be seeing Beckham breaking a thousand yards receiving next year. Uh, I could see it. Um, I think he was on pace to do it this year if he hadn't gotten injured. I think he really would have gotten it. Um, yes, but he had those games where he just wasn't putting up numbers whatsoever. It was only a couple that he really was able to put up the big numbers for us. That's true. That's true. That Dallas game in particular was a standout one. He put up a lot of yards that game, and uh, I think that was a sign of things to come we might see next year of him. So we just have to wait and see at this point with him. Um, but going down the list here, the thing that really upset me was that Donovan Peoples-Jones was only targeted one time this yeah, game. That was, that was kind uh, of surprising. He caught, that, he caught that one target for 23 yards. Well, I mean, it was a nice, it was a nice play. I remember that play. That was down the sidelines. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a nice play. Um, I really wish we would have been able to see more of him. Yeah, Peoples Jones has been one of those guys this year that he nobody expected anything much from him, but he ended up being a standout guy. I mean, that, he is. There's a reason why he's our obviously lead returner mm-hmm. um, for kickoffs and ret- and punts, and there's a reason why he was thrown in there as another good receiving piece for us. Yeah. Um, and, and it's nice to have. What, this is his, what, rookie year? This was his rookie year, I believe, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, he had a hell of a rookie year. I, can we pull up his stats real quick for the year? Sure. Let's bring him up. Three hundred and four yards, fourteen receptions. I mean, that's not bad for a guy that's your was your third or fourth string guy for the season. No, not at all. Uh, fourteen receptions for three hundred and four yards, two TDs. I he's going to have a good career ahead of him if he can keep it up. Yeah. If we if we utilize him more, he's going to have a hell of a career, especially with Mayfield at the helm. Yeah, I and think him and Mayfield, like Mayfield, like this season, especially this second half of the season for us, proved that Mayfield deserves to stay. Uh, There's no rhyme or reason yeah. why we don't pick up his fifth-year option. There's also no rhyme or reason why we don't sign him to at least a five-year extension. Well, can you believe some of the bogus statements people have been making online about how, uh, you know, you know, Deshaun Watson wants out of, of Houston, and people have been saying, oh, well, if Houston offered the Browns uh, – uh, Watson for Mayfield, would you take it? And people were saying, yeah, definitely. And I'm thinking, why? I. But here's the thing, though, that people need to realize, that uh, Deshaun Watson 
has that specific no trade clause in his contract. Mm-hmm. With him, make with that gives him all the power in wanting out of te- Texas. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 guessing they're willing they, to oblige. They said, but why 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 would you want to bring a guy in here that has to bring new chemistry to a team when you've already got it with who you have at the helm? Here's the thing, though, too, is that he already has his two biggest preferred landing spots, and that is New York. Uh, for the Jets, and if not them, then Miami. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes the most sense. That makes the most sense. I mean, he needs to go someplace where they have chemistry. I mean, like, for instance, you know, I'm surprised that after one year, Miami seems to be jumping off the Tua bandwagon, and they, they're looking to deal him already, and I don't really know why that is. Uh, it's not so much that they're looking to deal him. It's a matter of the fact that you've got a player like Deshaun Watson who can do huge mm-hmm. things for you. That's this true. This essentially is swapping franchise quarterbacks. It's a good point, and Houston's uh, kind of more in a rebuild. One of the biggest thing, like I'm seeing here for the Jets' uh, case for making a trade happen, because they've got the biggest chance, I think, to pick up to um, – not to, but uh, Watson, Watson mm. is that it'll probably end up being Sam Darnold to be included in the trade. It has to be. So he'll have a year of being able to be their starting quarterback while they build up for who they're going to end up taking in the draft at that point. Because one of the things I'm seeing is for Watson trade to happen, it's going to be a first-round pick. The Jets have the number two pick in the draft this year. Well, that's there's some serious uh, ammunition there. So, um... so, and it's almost – assured at this point that you're going to see either BYU's quarterback uh, picked up number two mm. or you're going to see Justin Fields from Ohio State picked up in the number two spot the, the draft this year. Yeah, I think that's a big possibility. And and I look at Sam Darnold too, and I'm thinking he's in a system right now in the, in the Jets that's just not working. And I, I don't and I don't blame uh, honestly, Sam Darnold. You never, honestly, you never know. Sam Darnold could end up developing into a major franchise quarterback if he mm-hmm. should he get traded to Houston. Because he's out of the Adam uh, Adam Gase coaching line mm-hmm. that just obviously did not work for him. Yeah, well, you're right. Exactly that. Adam Gase just had to go. It was no question about it. So we're looking at a lot of potential deals here going on because you've got multiple first-round picks uh, that the Jets can offer. They can offer the number two pick. Uh, their other first-round pick, I don't remember what number it is for this year, but they've got multiple first-round picks for next year's draft as well. So they've got a lot of ammunition going into a potential trade with Houston here. Yeah, I, I, I Houston's set up in a good spot, I think, with this trade. There's a lot they can get for it. Yeah. All right, yeah, but... There's that. There's a matter of the fact that you've got um, you've got uh, players like Carson Wentz now who are looking at possibly staying on with the team that they were uh, wanting to be traded from, especially considering uh, Doug Peterson is no longer Philadelphia's head coach. Maybe that gives Carson Wentz a reason to stay now. So they're, I mean, they're not going to be looking for a Deshaun Watson trade at this point. Uh, but Watson, 
is one of those great – he is a franchise quarterback through and through. You can say what you want about him, but he is indeed a franchise quarterback. I personally think it's going to be either Miami or New York is where he's going to land. And I, my I will be willing to bet my money that he is going to be landing on with the Jets, especially because of uh, their head coach. That they just picked up. That's the best fit for him, I think. I think that's the best fit for for Watson because you know what, him going to Miami, I mean, would be would be good. I mean, Miami's a good team; they were almost a playoff team. But I, I just feel like the Jets is a better fit for him, and and with a new coach and and, and stuff, especially when, uh, especially a highly sought after uh, coach too. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Saleh. he was uh, uh, San Francisco's defensive coordinator. Yeah. And if have you taken a look at what their defense was this year? Mm -mm. They were in the top five, if I'm not mistaken, defenses run this year. Even with all the astounding injuries that they had, they were still a top five defense in the league this year. Then there you go. I mean, th th their defense is going to be good, and I think the Jets are going to bounce back year next year. I just think that I think you're right with with, with Sam Darnold. They're not going to be that team because it's just a bad fit. It's a bad it's a bad fit, and I think that. Watson for, for Darnold is a good flip-flop. I think Darnold will do better in Houston, just like I think that Watson will do better in New York. And, like The biggest thing to take away from this is that we're probably going to be seeing Darnold being used as a backup, unfortunately, after the next season, only because with I'm guaranteeing that the number two pick is going to Houston if this deal is going to get made. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna. I'm almost assured that they're going to end up picking up Justin Fields. Yeah, I think that it's gonna be it's gonna be Fields versus Darnold, I think, in Houston, and uh, and so I'm gonna say that they'll probably give uh, Darnold at least a year to, yep. you know, make sure Fields is acclimated into the system, make sure he can learn that playbook well enough, mm -hmm. and then we're gonna see what Fields can do. It's almost like Darnold will be playing next year for a job on another team to make room for Justin Fields. Is is what it almost feels like. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens with that. Time will but tell. anyway, so we got off track with that. Um, back to the receiving game here. Jarvis Landry, seven carries for 20 yards and the mm -hmm. TD. I mean, he got a lot of receptions this game, but just for like the short gains. Little dinky passes, yeah. I would have loved to have seen at least one big play happen with Landry. I think that would have made a huge difference as well. I was waiting for it, and it just never came. Um, let's see here. Austin Hooper, two catches for 16. Chubb, two catches for four. And I can tell you the three missed targets that were for him, too. They were all dropped balls. I remember messaging you. I remember messaging mm -hmm. you about that, too, on Facebook, that how pissed I was. Uh, how Chubb could not hold on to the ball when it was thrown to him. Well, I don't know what was going on with Chubb. I mean, it just seemed like he wasn't in a rhythm on Sunday, and I, it just seemed like something was off. It did feel like something was off, but it, maybe it could be, that, you know, they were playing against the number one team in the NFL. True. It could be that, the, you know, they were playing for a chance at the, the AFC Championship on the line. That's a good point. It could be that, you know, nerves will get to you in that case. Yeah, it's a fair point. And I think that a lot of these guys have never played in a playoff game before. So I think that now that that's past them going into next year, I think that it'll make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Experience is now had, so that'll be beneficial to them. 
And there's not really much else to say about the um, receiving game from there because it's not much of anything really to talk about. No. Um, going into the defensive side of the ball here, uh, Kevin Johnson leading us for five tackles. Uh, mm-hmm. Terrence Mitchell, four tackles, three assisted. Carl Joseph, four tackles. Uh, finally, we get to a name we see a lot of, and surprisingly, not or just barely cracking uh, the top yeah. four. Uh, BJ Goodson with four tackles and two assisted. Yeah, there's just there's just not much in the way of defensive production here because the defense just did not overall play a good game. Miles Garrett only had one sack and only two tackles. I didn't see much defensive pressure on his end. We had the one interception that that uh, Chad Henney threw, which we thought was going to be the turning point in the fourth quarter, and it could have been, but sadly it wasn't. Um, just not much well, to write a big home. Thing, a big thing to think about, too, with uh, the Garrett game not being there, Yeah, he put the pressure on every time. It was a matter of they just were holding him up a lot. Well, our offensive lines are starting to figure him out. They're starting to double him up quite often, and I think either Miles Garrett's going to have to figure out something new, or or yeah, or roll with it. I don't know. Which is to be expected, though. But that's also meaning that you've got a threat in Miles Garrett that's obviously strong enough. They have to double up on him, or you're going to be seeing a lot of pressure put on him. Well, that's true. I don't disagree with you there. I think that that's. I don't know. Maybe something that needs to be adjusted next year. Which can be done. Oh, sure. Sure, yeah. That could that could be adjusted. And I think that in training camp, with a full-blown normal training camp uh, next year, I think that they'll be able to fix some of that stuff. You see, I got to agree with, who was it? Teller is the NFLPA's uh, president? Yeah. I got to agree with what Teller was saying. I think we should the preseason games are what we should be holding. I don't like the idea of the mandatory workouts and all that in the OTAs because they're like he said, you see a lot of these teams and how it affected them this year. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like it's hurting these players and the, these teams to have these OTAs Injury and injuries. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh instead of it being uh the workouts, I think that maybe they should do optional team meetings instead. You know, uh, maybe not even make them optional. Make do team meetings where OTAs would be, and do it that way. Therefore, you avoid injuries. Um, you just, the guys can still do their standard workouts in the weight rooms and stuff like that, but avoid all the on-field stuff if you don't have to until training camp. Yeah, but we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. I personally like the idea that Teller brought up. I think it's a fair point. I think it's a very fair point. Um, next year, it looks like we will get a 17th regular season game. So we will have a little bit of an extended schedule next year. Um, I don't know. If- we're going to end up seeing a we're going to end up seeing uh cut in preseason games. I'm going to assume at that point, I, I would assume the preseason games got to be cut down probably to two in order to make room for that 17th game. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that really, to be honest, that's all that's really needed. I don't think you need four. Four has always been way too much, especially since the fourth game's been reserved for all guys trying to make the team and you're not playing any starters. So what's the point? Exactly. So, yeah, two's plenty. All right, but let's go ahead and wrap this part of the podcast up. 
Uh, is there anything else that you needed to add to this week, Mike? No, I think just as a whole, um, a very good season for the Browns. Um, they made good the city proud. Um, and I think going forward, if anything, we could take away is just a great future and that this team's just going to get better. There's no question about it. They're going to get better, especially since Andrew Barry made the point. He's focusing on defense, and that was reassuring because he sees immediately what needs to be fixed, and we need to fix it right now, right away. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's no question. I think we've finally got the front office. We've got the complete package in line here yep. to finally get this team where it deserves to be. All on the same page, finally, after 20 years. But with this regard... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and get into the special edition part now. Switching gears. Okay. All right. So do you want to go ahead and lead this off, Mike? Yeah. Um, I can ask you the uh, the first, uh, first question here. Um, but first of all, let's go ahead and reintroduce ourselves. Um, I'm Jason Gabasic. Um, I live in Olmsted Falls. I'm Mike Winkler, and I also live in Olmstead Falls, and uh, we are part of Dog Pound Nation, a Cleveland Browns podcast, which you can find on Facebook and CastBox, and also listen to us on Lights, Camera, Action, Entertainment Reviews. For all your cool film reviews in the Cleveland area, we are with uh, three other guys, uh, Jeremy Larson, Alistair Engelhart, and Daniel English. You can check us out at LCA Reviews, um, and we're also on other different platforms, Spotify, CastBox. Yeah, we're Amazon on Music. all platforms in that regard for mm-hmm. that podcast. You, you can follow us on Twitter at LCA Movie Reviews and we're also on Facebook as well at LCA Reviews. All right. So go ahead and lead this off. Okay. So Cesar Cleveland's first question, Jason, to you is there was no preseason this year for the first time that I could ever remember. How do you think that affected the Browns or even the league in general? Uh so, yeah, obviously, no preseason this year for the first time in God knows how long. Um, it was definitely a weird experience to th- when you think about it mm-hmm. as to, you know, what are we going to see now without these teams actually having a chance to practice Not with us not being able to see what they're capable of doing before the season starts? Um, are they going to underperform? Are they going to perform even better? We never knew. But mm-hmm. I think this affected the Browns in a way that was very beneficial. Uh, obviously, it led us to it could have I mean it may not have even been necessarily the lack of a preseason, but in general, it let I led to great things for us this year. I mean, we finished for the eleven and five for the first time, and I couldn't tell you how long. Uh, brought us a postseason berth for the first time in 18 years. We also were able to win a postseason game for the first time since 94. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this was really a great thing, and I think the league can really benefit from what Wyatt Teller, had, the president of the NFLPA, has said, and that I think a lot of what we are seeing in the preseason – can be cut away. Mm-hmm. It made it kind of unnecessary to have all of this, but that's my response to that question. So for you, Mike, I got the same thing. Since there was no preseason this year for the first time in a long time, how do you think it affected the Browns or even the league in general? 
I go back and I look at week one against the Baltimore Ravens, um, the game where the Browns got blown out, not having a preseason when we had a new coach and a new system, I think played hell with the Browns. And I felt like that the Browns were at a very unfair advantage in week one because they were trying to figure things out and the Ravens just took advantage of it. I mean, that's just the way it was. Um, I, I know it affected the league as a whole because, you know, a lot of teams couldn't go under usual training camp procedures and, and have the usual preseason games. But like you said, Jason, the preseason games almost feel no longer necessary, especially since, you know, we have four of them. Two at the very most is all they need because you have your second game that could be your dress rehearsal. Your first game can be the one where you get the the guys that are new to the team acclimated to the NFL and the, and the speed of the game and stuff like that. But um, I think it did play hell with the rest of the league, and I hope it's something we never have to face in COVID times again. Uh, very good. I think that we're probably going to end up seeing this even post-COVID, that we're going to be seeing a major change to the off-season scheduling. At least for the foreseeable future. All right, so going into this again, um, I'll start this question off. Uh, speaking of COVID, how much would you say that COVID-19 affected the Browns this season, and in what ways? Well, we can go back to the Browns' first playoff game against Pittsburgh. Uh, they lost to Fansky to COVID, and they had to do an entire game without their head coach, which, again, I applaud the Browns for the way they played against Pittsburgh because I didn't let COVID slow them down. They came to that game determined, and they took care of business. But I'll go to the one game that they were really affected that really played hell with the rest of the rest of the um with some of the things that happened during the NFL season. I mean, the Browns did in that Jets game where they lost their entire receiving core the night before the game. The NFL refused to move the game, much like they refused to move the Denver Broncos game when they were out of all their quarterbacks and not necessarily a fair way to play that game, and they got destroyed because they had to use a wide receiver at quarterback. Um, but yet the Ravens and the Steelers game on Thanksgiving got moved back three times, and it just felt like a little bit of favoritism. And I feel like if the NFL going forward is going to have more COVID issues, they better start showing the same respect to other teams that they showed to the Ravens and the Steelers on Thanksgiving. Fair enough. All right. Um, to answer that question in my own perspective here, I got to wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Um, you got to look at the postseason game against the Steelers that we had. Yes, uh, Stefanski out. We had a lot few of our key players out in different positions that caused us to have players from up from the practice squad that haven't had a chance to even meet really with the actual main team. Uh, the first, our first stringers, and you hear the story about how you had some of these guys that at, even as of game time, right before the game started, walk up to Mayfield, shake his hand, be like, hi, I'm so-and-so for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and us being able to still do what we were able to do. I think that, but that uh, it, the COVID situation definitely has impacted us in a way that uh, it have really affected a lot of the NFL. And I have to agree with you that the NFL, I think showed a lot of favoritism in regards to uh, games like the Ravens Steelers game where it got pushed back three times or how the Steelers Titans game I believe is which one I'm thinking of here. Yeah. That got postponed. So I 
And why can't you show the same level of respect, like you said, like you were saying, to teams like the Broncos, teams like the Browns, uh, and have the game pushed back to a point where it's going to be safe for everyone involved to participate in? But no, you've got to make it so that way these teams are getting blasted and have holes everywhere because you want to have these games happen at these specific points. No. When you have an entire receiving core completely gone because of the fact of COVID hitting them and causing us to lose a major chunk of our offense like that, it's going to hurt. And especially looking at the Broncos situation, how they lost their entire quarterback's room. And no, that game didn't get pushed back. They forced them to play that game still uh, at the scheduled time and day. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the Very NFL so. really does have to show us the respect that we deserve uh, if this situation keeps continuing. They indeed do. Okay, so next question. Okay, so in your opinion, what were some of the biggest important changes that the Browns made in the offseason leading up to the 2020 season, including staff changes, free agency acquisitions, trades? Did the Browns lose any important players? Uh, this is a good question. A couple of questions here, actually. Um, some of the biggest changes that the Browns made in the offseason leading to the 2020 season, obviously the addition of Andrew Barry as our GM, um, Kevin Stefanski being named our head coach for the foreseeable future. Um, I think those were absolutely amazing acquisitions for us. Uh, showing that we have a coach who really has a mind for this game and what the Browns are able to do with their playbook. Mm -hmm. uh, changes made here and there that really helped benefit, especially Baker Mayfield and develop him more, playing to his strengths, trying to hide a lot of his weaknesses. Um, the play-action plays... That's what Baker Mayfield specializes in. We saw a lot more of that, and look at what he has been able to do this year because of that. Had one had the lowest interception total this season that we he we've seen in his career so far. Uh, he put up good numbers for us, a lot of touchdowns. Our team just felt like a mole, more whole unit and played complete football compared to what we were seeing before the last few years. Um, staff changes, like we were talking about, uh, the Stefanski and Andrew Barry additions, um, free agency acquisitions, Jack Conklin, Austin Hooper, picking those two guys up really helped us out a lot because we had, we have a solid, well-known, uh, tackle for the offensive line in Conklin that did a lot for us this year, uh, with Austin Hooper. He did amazing for us during this season uh, at tight end. We had an established name that was really good at what he does, uh, did a lot for us when it comes to blocking for running for Chubb and Hunt. Um, he, he just played like a complete tight end, and we were made better because of some of these additions. Uh, and as for did we lose any important players, there's only one that really comes to mind as an important player that we lost, and that was Schobert. I would have really liked to have seen him in a Browns uniform again this year, but 
what can you do? That free agency is going to happen. He went to where he thought he would be able to perform, which that's the, if that's the case, and so be it. Let him do what he's got to do. Players are going to do what they got to do for you know them. So, in all else, we didn't lose anyone of major importance. I think, and that's what I have for that. Well, of course, the biggest additions of, of Andrew Barry as the GM and Stefanski as the head coach were some of the Browns' biggest additions for the for the season, and um, and it shows. I mean, Kevin Stefanski wins Coach of the Year. Um, I, I almost would consider giving Andrew Barry um, consideration for a GM of the Year. I don't know if the, the award's out there, but considering a lot of the moves he's already made and I think he's going to make, um, I think he made the case to be a GM to watch for. Um, but as far as players losing anybody, yeah, Joe Schobert was a big loss. I think we could have used him as at linebacker, um, especially considering we really didn't have anybody else that really stepped up this season to really fill that void. Um, so at, at the same time, I, I look at what the Browns did differently this year and Conklin was huge. Um, Austin Hooper, huge. Uh, does it fill the void at tight end? No, I think David Njoku was already good at tight end, and I think the Browns didn't necessarily need Austin Hooper, but I welcome it because it just gives the Browns another pair of hands to use. Um, and on top of it all, Austin Hooper is a pro bowler. So to me, that was a boost to our offense because it added another threat that defenses had to worry about, especially when Baker throws those five or 10 yard, uh, passes, those short passes. And, uh, that's, of course, friendly to tight ends. So, uh, yeah, I guess you're absolutely right, Jason, that I'm going to say the biggest change this year that really boosted the Browns is Barry and Stefanski, no question about it. All right, so on to the next question here. What did you think of this year's uniform changes? Hmm. Uh, this one is very, very easy. The Cleveland Browns felt like the Cleveland Browns again with these new uniforms. They went back to old school. Um, when the old, new uniforms first came out, I mean, I thought they were cool looking. I especially liked the all orange. I'm a big fan of the all orange jerseys, especially with the orange pants. Um, but I felt like when this year started and they unveiled that they were going to go back to the original jersey designs. As we played our first couple games, I was watching them closely and I thought, the Browns feel like the Browns again. They almost before didn't feel like the Cleveland Browns that we knew from the past. And and these uniforms are just something special. And I've come to the conclusion that the Browns should never change their uniforms again. This is what they need to keep for forever. Um, I'm okay if they want to add an orange uniform to the, to the mix. Um, Cause they did have those back in the day as well. Uh, but yeah, they, they, the uniform changes were perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. And um, it's great to have them back. I couldn't agree more. I really loved the fact that we went to these all-orange uniforms. They really did feel like the Cleveland Browns again. Yep. Especially, you know, with everything going on this year and how we improved and all that, it's almost like we became uh, – we had a sense of, you know – oh, how do I want to say this? Um, we almost had a sense of – self and a sense of personality again we had a sense of identity we were the cleveland browns for once again mm -hmm. um 
one only thing that I'd really say is a minor gripe for me is I would like to see the Browns helmet changed. Mm. I think you can I'm only saying that because I almost think you should honor the dog pound, at least home game wise. Uh hel- if you're gonna do anything like changing the helmet instead of like the all orange with the brown and white stripes at the top of the helm. Uh almost have like that like the orange helmet, but you have like that big ferocious bulldog looking at you at the side of your helmet. I think that's gonna give them that intimidation factor going into these games. It's gonna make them feel like they're these bloodthirsty, ready to attack you animals that are ready to take you down and do what it needs to to win. I'd love to see an alternate uniform. Uh, I think that'd be kind of cool. What if they did the all orange jerseys with the all orange pants and they did an alternate helmet for the alternate jersey with the dog pound logo on there? I think it'd be neat to do an alternate jersey that they could wear as as like a color rush kind of thing. Could be an alternate yeah. helmet with the color rush. Yeah, that's not a bad idea for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next question. Which players made the most impact on the Browns this season and what made them stand out? Oh, which players... Which players made the most impact on the Browns this season? What made them stand out? A couple of players, I think, that really made a major impact this year for the Browns... I would have to say were uh, the reemergence of Baker Mayfield. Um, his ability to being able to, we're seeing finally to scramble out of the pocket, being able to get, go, get good reads on these bootleg and uh, pass action plays, uh, being able to finally utilize what he's good for, not staying in the pocket, because that does nothing but hurt him. We're seeing him use more as that sweeping out into almost a sideline uh, try- view, trying to figure out, see, like, what's downfield. Also being able to get these short passes off to these good receivers that are able to take them for more yardage than what you would expect. We're seeing the emergence of players like him being able to, oh, all right, with it, them doing that, they can't get a good read. Let's go ahead and chunk a couple of yards out on the rush real quick. I think that was a major thing for Bakefield, especially the fact, you know, he threw as few interceptions as he did during the regular season this year mm-hmm. was impressive. His touchdown to interception ratio, I think, was almost three to one. And that's impressive, especially for a third year quarterback. Um, other players, I think, stood out. Nick Chubb, without a doubt, him still breaking a thousand yards for the season, even after being out four games uh, with his injury, was huge. Uh, him was he was essentially the heart and soul of our team. I think is what Chubb is. Him being that power back, you can always depend on him to amp that team up along with Mayfield. Expect him to be that running back that's going to put up these big numbers, one of these running backs that are going to be able to help push this team in a way that we need to, especially if you've got someone like uh, Nick Chubb that's running the ball, 
and these teams know that they're going to be going for the running game, that opens up a huge plays that opens up a huge amount of play time, especially for the wide receiving core. Uh, speaking of the wide receiving core, you've got Rashard Higgins. He had a breakout year this year, I think, uh, especially when Beckham went down for his injury that took him out the rest of the season. Uh, and we saw him as a solid uh, wide receiver two option alongside Jarvis Landry. And Jarvis Landry is one other person I could say had a great standout year, I think, because we got to see a little bit more of that swagger from him once he was able to get that first touchdown catch of the year. No question about it. No question at all. It, it it's it's Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb, and I'm definitely going to give an honorary mention to Kareem Hunt because those three became the heart and soul of the Cleveland Browns this year. And I hate to almost say this that that Baker Mayfield became a better quarterback without Odell Beckham on the field, and that's nothing to take away from Odell Beckham Jr. I just think the biggest problem was that Baker felt like he had to get Odell the ball. And that is why so many of his interceptions that he threw were balls he was forcing to Odell. And without Odell on the field, all of a sudden Baker was spreading the wealth. He was throwing the ball everywhere across the field, getting guys like Higgins and Peoples-Jones involved, where he wasn't doing that before with Odell on the field. Now, I put that more on Baker than I do the coaching staff or Odell. Um, going forward, I think that's going to change. I think the coaching staff is going to inform Odell that, Hey, look, this is what we're doing. Either you're a part of what we're doing and you're, you accept the fact that you might not always get the ball or you're going to be on your way out. It's as simple as that. Odell can be a great piece to this football team, but he needs to realize that he can't be the center of attention and always get the ball. Nick Chubb. Um, he just runs with serious authority. He runs like Jim Brown. You know, just the way he moves, the way he's built, the way he breaks tackles. I mean, he's chewing up five, six, seven, eight yards at a crack after first contact. It's it's crazy. It's insane. And then Kareem Hunt being that second back that just comes out of the backfield and can catch balls out of the flat and, and offenses don't know what to do when they have to worry about Chubb or Hunt on the field. It just creates a dynamic that we don't see in the NFL. And the Browns easily have the best two running back uh, combo duo in, in the NFL and that's what makes them so dangerous. I couldn't agree more with you there. All right. So next question here. Were there any first year rookie players that stood out? Ooh. Um, Donovan Peoples Jones definitely was one. Um, I go back to that game winning catch he made in Cincinnati that Baker threw him in the corner of the end zone, just the way he got his two feet in and was able to secure it was very impressive for a rookie player. Um, Jedrick Wills did a hell of a job this year as well. Um, I was very impressed with him on the line. I thought he created some uh, great protection for Baker that I wasn't expecting, um, especially when we saw him come out and he was hurt. It showed. And to me, that means he's made quite the impact. And uh, I look forward to seeing what Jedrick Wills is going to do in the future along with Peoples-Jones. I think they're going to be two guys that are going to be key to this team. I couldn't agree more with you there. Um, Jedrick Wills' ability to perform at the left tackle position is just on a level that 
you haven't seen since Joe Thomas in his prime, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Thomas has gone on record and, you know, endorsed Jedrick Wills' ability to perform at his position. It, it really showed that what he's capable of. Like you said, when he was taken out with his injury, it showed just how much he was able to hold up his position because mm-hmm. they just did not have the same kind of line without Wills at left tackle. Um, Wills has an amazing ability to protect Baker to be able to help open up these holes on the left side for Chubb and Hunt to break through. Uh, being able to force these teams to essentially come double up on him. And even then, it's not even a guarantee that you're going to break through. He's a big boy that can keep you locked in place. Um, I also have to agree with Donald Peoples-Jones. And going back to, like you said, that Cincinnati game, the game-winning catch, he performs at a level as a rookie that you see from a lot of these players that have been playing in the NFL for years at this point. He's playing at a level that shows that he has a standout ability about him. He's just got that star material about him. Mm-hmm. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do now that he has the experience on his side. He has that taste of postseason play in him. He's got that hunger that I, I think we're going to see a lot from him coming up next, this upcoming season. Okay. Great response. Um, next question. What were your favorite low moments of the season? My favorite low moments of the season, huh? Uh, oh, my least favorite low moments. Oh. my Probably my least favorite low moments were three different games that we had. Mm-hmm. They were the... Ravens game, the first game of the season against the Ravens, us getting blown out like we did, 38-6, to uh, really showed just how much we needed to have at least something on our side to be able to get the team to feel a little bit more, you know, chemistry together. Um, the Another low point for us, for me, was the first meeting against the Steelers. And us getting blown out of the water 38-7 to there. Uh, and that was because we just played like absolute crap that game. We couldn't get anything going on offense. Our defense was showing, you know, what we've been talking about all season long. And that we have major holes in our secondary. We had a defense that just could not do anything against uh, Ravens front. Or not Ravens, sorry. The Steelers front there. Uh, it really hurt us in the long run, I think, for that game. Um, And the other one was the game against the Raiders. Uh, Our our defense, which was our run defense especially, which was normally a big point for us, just letting them run the ball all over us, hold possession of the ball as long as they did against us, we knew in the, going into that game that there was not going to be a passing game whatsoever because of the weather coming into Cleveland that day. But the fact that we couldn't get anything going just, I, I think, shot our confidence down a little bit going into that bye week. But 
to, for us to come back like we did after that and have that swagger the rest of the season, I think, was a good point. But those are my biggest low points of the season. So that's all I have to say on that subject. Yeah. Um, there were just a handful of low points. Um, I won't even go as far to say that losing to the Jets was a low point because they were without their wide receivers. So it was kind of expected, and I blame the NFL for that because there's no way that game should have been played, especially when one team had playoff uh, repercussions in it. So that, to me, was just – I was on the NFL. It wasn't on the Browns because the Browns – you know, they, what were they expected to do without wide receivers? First of all, um, the Steelers game, of course, was a low point. Uh, that game, they just got blown out. They got handled big time. Uh, but they made up for that at the end of the season by beating Pittsburgh twice, once in the playoffs and once to get in. So uh, they definitely made up for that one. And like you said, the, uh, the Raiders game, uh, I know the weather was a factor, but the Browns should have been able to run the ball better than the Raiders. They should have been able to play better defense against the Raiders, and they didn't. I thought that was one of their worst played games just because it's a game that they they should have won. Uh, they they had the players they needed. Uh, I don't really know what happened there. Uh, I'd even say that that game is more of a low point than Pittsburgh just because the Raiders were a team that they were obviously better than. Um, they proved they were better than the Steelers later in the season, but at that point, the Steelers were at a high. Uh, but that Raiders game, I think, was the ultimate low point of the season, and I'm glad they just bounced back after the bye week with that and then just hit the ground running. Solid points there. Um, going back to a couple of questions that uh, you glanced over real quick, did were there any players that underperformed, in your opinion? Um... To be honest, I'm going to lump in most of the uh, Brown secondary, minus Denzel Ward. I think that they all underperformed. Um, even Mac Wilson, who we had a lot of hope for after last year, I just think that he came in flat. Andrew Sandejo came in flat, was missing a lot of tackles. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't even want to really single one guy out. It was the whole defensive secondary that really deserves the dishonorable mention of being the disappointments of the Brown season. I have to agree with you on that. Um, our secondary, I can't name any specific players, but our secondary minus Denzel Ward were, what I have to say, really underperformed this year. And that's disappointing with, to me because the fact that we had a team that I think could have done a lot more here, at least on defense, but you're missing the Joe Showberts. You're missing Grant Delpit, who got knocked out for the season before the regular season started. So we were missing two huge pieces there. Greedy Williams really didn't play at all this year either, I don't think. Um, so we really were playing without players that normally would be in, and it showed. Um, and another one that I think really underperformed, like you said, was Sendajo. I think he just fell flat. He missed a lot of easy tackles. It didn't feel like he really gave 100% when he was trying to make his tackles. And it just hurt us in the games that we ended up losing. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, but another question that I bounced over here is, what are your favorite top five best moments of the 2020 Brown season? 
Well, I can list two of them right off the bat for you. Um, this is obviously not going to be in any particular order. I'm not, it's going to take forever trying to come up with the top five in order. But obviously the Browns making the playoffs again for the first time in 18 years. Um, the Browns winning their playoff game against Pittsburgh uh, felt to me like an ultimate act of retribution. Like we finally have your number uh, being able to advance to the divisional round for the first time in 26, 27 years. Um, those were two of my favorite moments right there. A couple others I have to mention here were <sighs> the game against the Ravens, I think, is another top five moment for me because it really showed to me and to the NFL that the Browns are here to stay. The Browns are here to be a new powerhouse in our division. We have the ability to hold ourselves our, and against us these big teams like the Ravens, the Steelers, being able to compete with teams like the Chiefs. We're able to perform there. Um, another moment for me was, oddly enough, the game against the Chiefs. Even with everything that happened that game, we proved that we could hang with the best team in the NFL. We could easily hang with the best team in the NFL. We were so close to winning that game and being in contention right now to make the Super Bowl, we can only go up from here. Like uh, we've been talking about, I think with the right moves, we've got uh postseason aspirations for years to come at this point. Um, and then the last of my moments here were the additions that they made. Uh, during the offseason, the moves that they made, adding in Andrew Barry, the Steph, Kevin Stefanski, adding players like the Jack Conklin and Austin Hooper, uh, drafting people like Jedrick Wills Jr., uh, Grant Delpit, even though we didn't get to see him this year, him being able to – or him being picked up as late as he did for us was a major steal. It, with along with everything else that uh, all these sportscasters and these analysts have said. So I think we're, we're really just got so much of an upside going into the years to come at this point that it's all looking like positivity from here on out. Well, my top five, um, I'll list them off, but they're not in any specific order either. Um, number five would definitely be, uh, the Browns winning in Dallas. That was that just felt like a statement game that the Browns had officially arrived. You know, everybody thought, oh, the Browns are going to go into Dallas. They're going to come out flat. It was the typical Browns storyline that they're going to come out flat. They're going to show that they don't belong competing with the big top tier teams at the time. And of course, Dallas ended up being that. But they went out and made a statement. They beat the crap out of Dallas in Dallas. And that, to me, was was huge, a huge moment for this season to remember, especially Odell's run to basically put the game on ice. That was kind of nice as well. Um, number four um, was, of course, that last, that last game against Pittsburgh to get into the playoffs. Uh, there was just something bittersweet about it. And I, I think it was extremely fitting that for the Browns to get back into the playoffs that it happened against Pittsburgh. That just felt like the appropriate team to be playing in that situation. And it's something that won't be forgotten for many years uh, to come. 
Um, number three, uh, yeah, that Ravens game on, on uh, what was it, uh, Monday Night Football, that to me was the Browns' biggest statement of the year. They showed that, look, we know Baltimore is confident. We know they have Lamar Jackson. They're one of the top-tier teams in the AFC North. But we can go out there and we can compete with them. And even though the Browns went out there and they lost that game, they showed that they belong to be in the same conversation with the Baltimore Ravens. And they showed that they can beat them. And they proved something to the nation. And it was on national television, so that made it even sweeter. Um, Number two, I think the high point here is Kevin Stefanski. Because the whole year of just what he was able to do with a team – um, that was a first-year team without a proper training camp, without a proper preseason. And the fact that he was able to lead this team to their best records they came back in 99 was just so impressive. And it's just so reassuring and so calming to know the Browns finally have a head coach that maybe can be here for 10 years or, or longer. Who knows? Um, and the number one, of course, is that big playoff win in Pittsburgh. That couldn't have been any more bittersweet and the fact they were able to go into a playoff game and run all over Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, in the playoffs, I couldn't have asked for a better moment from the 2020 season. Shit, it's probably the best moment we've had in 20 years. Uh, how, the feelings that I felt in that game, I had never felt in the 20 years since the Browns came back. And I am happy to say that I think many more of those moments are still to come. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, so... Actually, very good answer. Uh, segue into our next question here. What did it feel like for you to have the Browns be back in the playoffs after not being there for so long? And what was it like for you when they beat the Steelers in the wild card round? Were you surprised? The feelings that I felt the day the Browns clinched was just. I remember back in 2002 when the Browns got in. Um, it wasn't the same feeling that I had this time. And maybe because I was younger, sure. But I think going through that 18-year drought and just suffering through the 115 season and the 0-16 season, this one felt even more special than the one in 2002 because they were only three years back into the NFL. So there wasn't that lull that the team was in before that. So it was definitely something special. And, and, and going in there and winning that game, no. I wasn't surprised at all because going into that week, I felt really positive. I thought there's no way the Browns are going to lose this game. They they got into the playoffs. They're riding a high. They're playing good football. And Pittsburgh was 1-4 coming into that game for starting 11-0. And I just had a feeling that they were going to come into Pittsburgh and they were going to prove something to the nation that the Browns are back. You better fear us. And we're here to stay. And it was just it's just an awesome feeling and i even with the season ending the way it did it's just a feeling i never felt going forward and it's just, it's just great it's just great i couldn't agree with you more on that uh, i'm going to start this off in opposite order real quick i was not surprised at all that we made the playoffs i personally was more surprised that it took us as long as it did this season to make the playoffs i figured we would have made it at least the week before but that was because our receiving core got completely wiped out because of the COVID situation, and that the NF that was an NFL flub, and that they couldn't push that game back or 
anything in order to make sure, you know, especially with us having the playoff aspirations on the line for a good chunk of that. Um, as for us be, being back in the playoffs after so long, I, I it just felt like a huge weight off the shoulders of everyone in Cleveland, mine included. Uh, so we've been so supportive of the Browns our entire lives. We sat through these horrible seasons with these coaches. Our uh, Romeo Cornells, our um, our Butch Davises, our uh, Manginis, our Freddie Kitchens, our Hugh Jacksons. Going through the one and fifteen season, followed by the zero and sixteen season, and then looking at us going from there only to a couple years later, we're now a team to that can make the playoffs again. It, it just it felt so good. It, there was so much elation going on. I don't remember yelling as loud as I have once we clinched that game. Uh, the we were able to accomplish something that we hadn't been able to do since 2002, and that was make the playoffs again. And then it was the fact that we went into Pittsburgh that next week, even with Stefanski being uh, not allowed to coach because of COVID, not with especially with us missing players in key positions because of the same situation. And for us to go into that game and lead the first quarter 28 to nothing and to end up coming out and winning that game, not only against, not only in Pittsburgh, but against Pittsburgh, it it felt like the ultimate sense of justice to me because they were the team that knocked us out the last time we were able to make it into the playoffs in the wildcard spot game in 2002. So the fact that we were able to take that mo- take that mo- little bit of revenge against 18 years of swallowed up anger and swallowed up determination, be able to come out and prove like, hey, the Browns are here. Get used to us. We're going to end up doing this year after year. It, it just felt to me like it was the biggest breath of fresh air that we've had here in Cleveland in so long. And to me, it also felt a little bittersweet at the end of the game, only because it looked like at the end of the game with you see Roethlisberger sitting there on the bench on the sideline, just looking so defeated and dejected from losing this game that, you know, it, he had that look of it might be his time to go. Yeah. It's so true. It's oh, it's oh so true. Okay, so what was it like for you when the Browns lost to the Chiefs in the division round? It was a bittersweet moment, but I can't complain too much against us losing against the Chiefs, only because of the fact that we we took it to them. They let they were able to to make a huge game against us the first half. But we came back that second half, and for us to come back and only lose by five was something to say. We were able to do a lot against the Chiefs, I think, to show that we can hang with the big boys. We can hang with these monster teams that no one would think that the Browns had a chance against. But Mm -hmm. 
we were able to do what we could against a team that has Super Bowl aspirations year after year with the addition of Mahomes on their team. Um, and I really can't even as much as I, as much as I want to also give credit to the Chiefs this game. It wasn't so much that we lost to the Chiefs as we lost to the NFL referees that game. And look back at that on that miscalled helmet to helmet hit that cost us a touchdown this first half. Yeah, um, I won't deny that I felt I felt angry, but not not at the Chiefs, not at the Browns. I felt angry because I felt as though the Browns were cheated out of this game. That a quite obvious helmet to helmet call was there. It happened right in front of the referee, and the fact that the NFL doesn't make that reviewable like it is in college is just a joke. And you know, if it would have happened away from the referee and it was a bad angle, I'd say, okay, he missed it. But it happens right in front of him. And then you have the ridiculous rule about if the ball goes in the back of the end zone, it's a touchback and their team gets it. That rule needs to be changed. It shouldn't be any different than when you fumble the ball and it goes out of bounds and you can't advance it. It's just out of bounds where you fumbled it or where you're down. The same rule should apply in the end zone. The Browns should get the ball at the one-yard line. It shouldn't become Chiefs ball because that happens. Change of possessions is stupid and ridiculous for that rule, and I don't know why that's the rule. I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but it just that needs to change. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I, was, I was proud of the Browns at the end of the game. Um, for what they did this year and and what they were able to accomplish. But I was angry at the referees in the NFL, very much so. All right, so going into the next question here, are you happy with the final result, and do you think that the Browns overachieved or underachieved? There's no question that the Browns overachieved. I mean, they met – they over and exceeded expectations for me, and I know a lot of people, especially the national media, who didn't put any any hope into the Browns' season. So they definitely overachieved, and I am very proud with the way the season finished. And it's just saddening that they couldn't get to the Super Bowl, but the fact that they got as far as they did and that they almost got there and they maybe should have at least got a chance to play in the AFC Championship game, it's it's a great feeling going forward for the future. I agree. Uh, I'm very happy with the end result. Uh, When you look at the season as a whole for us, we did a lot. We definitely went above and beyond what we were capable of doing. We definitely went out there and overachieved everything that we wanted and more. And I'm looking at you specifically, Stephen A. Smith. I'm looking at you specifically, Colin Coward, who had nothing but negative things to say about Baker Mayfield and the Browns all season long. Have we got your, have the Browns got your attention now? Have the Browns finally made you change your ways of thinking and not this shitty negative attitude that you have towards the Cleveland fan base and the Cleveland sports in general? Because we've done nothing but prove to you time and time again this season that we are here to stay. We are here stepping up, doing what we need to do in order to get to these big games. Does it suck that we didn't make it to the AFC Championship game? Yes. But you know what? Especially against, like we just talking about, against teams like the Kansas City Chiefs, teams like the Buffalo Bills, these teams that have stepped up and become playoff contenders repeatedly now at this point, guess what? I cannot complain. We've done a lot this year compared to the last couple of years. So 
as far as I'm concerned, if you have want to keep having that sort of attitude, the way of, that you've had towards us, Stephen A. Smith so the, out there, the Colin Cowards out there, as far as I'm concerned, you can go ahead and have it, but don't expect anyone to think you have any sort of credibility in anything that you have to say. Absolutely right. Next question is, last year's head coach, Freddie Kitchens, was fired at the end of the 2019 season. How much of an influence do you think the head coach, Kevin Stefanski, had on the team's turnaround? And was Freddie that bad or was Stefanski that good? Oh, so how much of an influence do I think that Stefanski had on this team's turnaround? He was, I think he was the biggest reason why we had the turnaround that we did. He gave the players confidence that we have a coaching staff that knows what they're doing. He gave the players a sense of purpose to fight for that ball, to fight for these games. He gave these players the discipline that they needed to if they were underperforming. At the same time, he also wasn't such a hard ass that, you know, that he's just going to go into a neo-Nazism sort of sense, like, I am better than you, you're going to listen to me. No, he gave the Browns what they needed, and that was respect in every aspect of the term. He gave the Browns their respect for the national media, from the Cleveland, from even more so from the Cleveland fan base than we already had. We're seeing these teams that are actually looking at us and going, oh, shit, do we have to worry about the Cleveland Browns now? He, he just had this all-around major impact on us, and I think that he was such a tremendous influence on what this team has been able to do this year. Like I, we've been saying, it can only go up from here. And as for was Freddie that bad or was Stefanski that good, uh, the answer to that question is both. Freddie Kitchens was that bad. And Stefanski was that good. Kevin Stefanski's influence was monumental because I go back and I look at when uh, Dorsey hired Kitchens and that the analytics guy, DeFilippo, wanted to hire Kevin Stefanski over Freddie Kitchens. And Dorsey over, overrode his decision and went with, Freddie Kitchens. And it became very obvious the reason why he did this is because he felt like he could control Freddie Kitchens. And that's why John Dorsey's no longer with the Cleveland Browns and with nobody else because it backfired and blew up in his face. And Kevin Stefanski showed that if the Cleveland Browns would have had him last season, this team might have progressed even further this season than what they had this year because we would have had two years under his belt. Baker Mayfield would have been better for it because obviously Baker Mayfield was just excellent under Stefanski. He's learned a lot and it shows. And what you said before about it's both, we are going to have it both ways. Freddie Kitchens was that bad. And one way you can tell is just look at Baker Mayfield last year compared to this year. Look at what he had Baker doing. He had Baker staying in the pocket, not moving out, being Baker Mayfield. And it hurt his progression. It hurt the team. That's why they didn't win games last year. And Stefanski comes in and lets Baker Mayfield be Baker Mayfield. Roll out, throw on the run, be able to run the ball if he needs to. Things that Freddie Kitchens was not doing. People could say, oh, well, you know, maybe it was because of uh, the offensive coordinator that was here over Freddie Kitchens. No, it's Freddie Kitchens' system. It didn't work. 
And it's time people to admit that. Freddie Kitchens was just that bad. And Kevin Stefanski is that good because he showed that he was able to turn a football team around in one season. And how often do you see that happen? Just ask yourself that question when you ask if he was that bad or just that good. Exactly. And to add on to what you're talking about with John Dorsey, uh, he did have some uh, say in football teams this year. Uh, he was a consultant for the Philadelphia Eagles helping with college and pro scouting. Um, also was just announced not that long ago, actually, that uh, de the Detroit Lions are expected to hire Dorsey as a senior personal executive. Wow. Well, all the power to him. They better be ready to be have him uh, be in total control because that's how that's going to go. All right. So next question here. When you look back at the 2020 Browns football season overall, how will you remember it? Very simply, it'll be a season to remember. And when the Browns do eventually win a Super Bowl, which I know they will do in the next few years, I firmly believe that this will be the season you will remember because this is the season that it all turned around. For me, how I'm going to remember this season for the Cleveland Browns is how every team in the NFL, how every national media outlet out there that broadcasts the NFL, that analyze the NFL, analyze all these teams, I think I'm going to look back at this year the way that they remember it and that this was the year that the Browns made a statement. They're here. They're no longer there's next year. There's there'll be next year. This year was the year that we went, we're here. And we're here to stay. Okay, so we are down to the last handful of, I think, about six questions here. So Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt in week, I don't know what week it was, but it was against the Bengals. So how do you think that has affected the team? Would you say that the team was better or worse due to his absence? I'm going to say that the Browns, you see, this is a tough question for me, only because I am a huge fan of Odell Beckham and what he can do on that field. He has all the makings and the abilities to be a locker room leader. It's just he's got to take that other baggage that's with him and the drama that comes with an Odell Beckham, and he's got to put that behind him. He's got to put the team forward first. Um, this year, I think we did a lot better, that we looked a lot better and more complete than we did with with him being on the field. Um, as for how I think it affected the team, I mean, yeah, you had a lot of players that stepped up and said, you know, he was a big part of the what the team was capable of. But to me, I personally think that how he affected the team, uh, how his injury, how it affected them, was how you had players like Jarvis Landry and Richard Higgins especially, Donovan Peoples-Jones, those three in particular stepping up like they did, becoming, you know, the big three receivers in Cleveland. You had 
everyone else that took this all-around look at what they were capable of doing, and they all stepped up. They all proved to themselves, like, hey, he, we ha our star playmaker is not on the field. Guess what? We're here. We're going to step up. We're going to be those star playmakers now. Well, I think that Odell's injury, as much as I hate to say it, I think it affected the team in a very positive way. Uh, Baker Mayfield was just better without him. Um, and like I've said before, I think that's just because of the the point that Baker always seemed like he had to throw to him to get him involved in the game. And that made Baker worse and it made everybody else around him worse. And without him, people like Higgins and people's Jones got the ball. Um, I think that getting the ball to Kareem Hunt more was also part of that. Austin Hooper and David Njoku. Um, I think going forward, I think Odell Beckham can be a key piece of this team and be good for the team going forward. But only if that message is conveyed by management that look, there's going to be games where you just might not get the ball. Plain and simple. You have to understand that. You'll get the ball if you're open. You'll get the ball if you're in a situation where we think it's going to benefit us winning the game. But if not, we can't have your prima donna stuff going on and making problems with this team. Because if you do, you're going to be traded. That's got to be the ultimatum. And if you can't understand that, ship them out of here. I agree. So next question here for you. What are some other injuries that the Browns dealt with throughout the season? Um, there, there wasn't many injuries that I think were 100% notable. There were some COVID issues, of course, here and there, especially the Jets game. That was, that was huge for us. But, um, throughout the season, I guess really Odell Beckham was the only standout injury, but as we know, it didn't overly affect them going forward. They were able to do what they needed to do without him. Uh, uh and now having Betonio in the first playoff game could have hurt us, but it didn't. So I think in the long run, I think the only game that really affected us injury-wise was the Jets game. But other than that, I think the Browns stayed pretty COVID-free up until that point, until they were affected at the end of the season, but it didn't affect them down the stretch like we thought it might. The biggest notable one for me was Nick Chubb. That middle of the season where – we really could have used him and gotten a lot more out of those games against the Steelers, the game against the Raiders, the Bengals. If we would have had him out on that field, we could be talking about a whole different story of the 2020 Brown season right now. We could be looking at we're in the playoff or we're in the AFC championship game right now. You never know. We could have been one of the ones that are looking at a bye week. So I, that was a huge loss for us is when Chubb went down for those four weeks. Good point. Good point. I kind of missed Nick Chubb a little bit on that one. That's a good point. There's some games that Browns could have won because of that. What? Who were some players that stepped up this year in the absence of injuries or COVID? Uh, easily for me, it was when Beckham went down. Um, Landry and Higgins. Landry and Higgins stepped up in such a big way. Uh, they really took over leading this team when it comes to receiving. They went and showed that there is more to this team than just OBJ and Baker Mayfield. Um, 
they did a lot for us in making these huge plays. They did a lot for making sure that we were able to get open spots everywhere else on the field, being able to utilize Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt a lot more effectively because we were able to have a dual threat on both sides of the ball in that point uh, offensively. Um, another player that really stepped up, at least in the COVID route, would have been uh, Olivier Vernon. I think when Garrett went down for those couple of weeks uh, with COVID, that he really stepped it up and proved that he is a defensive leader for our team. He he played games that I haven't seen from him since he was with the Giants uh, those couple of games. And since those couple of games, he's continued that performance, I think, at a great level. Um I think like we've been talking about earlier in the podcast, I think he is going to be a good reason why we keep moving forward from here after this season. I think he is overdue for an extension. I I think we owe it to ourselves to give him that two-year extension. Olivier Vernon, no question, because when Miles Garrett was out with COVID, he just – he did some very Miles Garrett things. He was putting pressure on the quarterback. He was sacking the quarterback. He was applying pressure. And that ended up proving to be pretty big because those couple of games that Miles Garrett was out and Vernon had those big games, those were games the Browns won. And without those performances, the Browns could have very easily lost those two or three games and they wouldn't have been in the playoffs because of it. So it is for sure Olivier Vernon. He definitely stepped up, I think, more than any other player on the team this year during, due to injuries or COVID. All right, so were there <laughs> uh this is gonna be a good one. Were there any games that you believe were lost by bad play calling? <laughs> well, gee, uh where to start with that one? Uh obviously the Kansas City Chiefs game, that's the biggest standout one. It's one that costed us the most. Um whew. Dang, I don't even know if I want to go down this list because there's so many of these games. And some of the games we, we also won as well. So I don't want to sit here and say that there were every game that we lost was because of referees. I'll, I'll just sit here and point out the Chiefs game the most because that one play call would have changed the whole impact of, of that game. The Browns would have uh, been back in that game. They would have been back within, I think, two or three points at the time. And... Considering that the Chiefs only put up, I believe, three more points the rest of the game at that point, uh, with the Browns' touchdown later in the game, the Browns would have been up and they would have won. I mean, people could easily say, oh, yeah, sure, you know, we don't know what would have happened if the Browns would have gotten that touchdown, things might have changed. Yeah, sure. But when it comes down to it, a bad play call probably costed the Browns a chance at the AFC Championship, plain and simple. Uh, that was one of my options that I had for this was looking back at the Kansas City Chiefs game that cost us the AFC wild or divisional round. Um, that missed helmet to helmet call was atrocious, and we deserve to have that relooked at. Uh, that is a bogus ruling that we cannot. Uh, review that if especially if you're going to do it in college why are you, aren't you doing it in the NFL uh, that is a 
absolutely atrocious ruling that they have in place where if you fumble it into the end zone and it goes out of bounds, that it is a turnover to the other team and is considered a touchback. So they get the ball back at the 20-yard line. I think it is absolutely asinine uh, for that. If they're gonna at least if they're gonna keep the turnover aspect of it, sure, all right, I will buckle on that part at least. But put it at where they the ball was fumbled at, which was at the one. If you're gonna do that, uh, there's one other game that comes to mind, and I, you're gonna have to correct me on this one. I want to say it was the Baltimore Ravens game, the uh, the Monday Night Football game. It, I want, only reason I'm mentioning that is because I think that was the game where uh, Baker Mayfield fumbled the ball into the end zone and Cunt picked it up in the end zone for what should have been a touchdown. But since it was because it was inside the two-minute warning that only the player that fumbled the ball can advance the football at that point. If it's touched by any other player on the offense, then the ball is immediately considered dead and it's considered a turnover at that, or it's considered a turnover on downs at that point because it was fumbled in the end zone. I think that was the game against the Jets. Okay, thank you for correcting me on that. Yeah, there was a fourth and inches at the end of the game when the Browns were trying to drive down the field and Baker dove forward and he fumbled the ball and Hunt picked it up and they called it turnover because you can't advance the ball. Stupid-ass rules. The NFL needs to go under a rule change for some of their things because some of their things are just absolutely absurd. I agree. All right, but next question here, Mike, for me. Okay, so just three years after the 0-16 parade for the winless 2017 Browns, there has been a huge, relatively quick turnaround where the Browns won their first playoff game in the modern era. Who do you attribute the quick turnaround to, and what were the steps that it took to get from the Browns in 2017? to where they're at in 2020. Uh, who do I attribute to the quick turnaround for the Browns in the last three years, going from 0-16 to uh, almost making it into the AFC Championship game in 2020? I'm going to attribute that to two different people, and that's going to be Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski because they were put into the play their places for a reason. Stefanski proved why he was a great pickup for a head coach in anywhere in the NFL this year for the Browns and what he was able to do for us, turning us around into going from six and 10 last year with all those playoff aspirations and hopes that we had after picking up Beckham, Vernon, Richardson, all these major pickups for us during the offseason last year, only to disappoint because Freddie Kitchens is just horrible at what he does. Um, and then Andrew Barry being put in the front office as our GM because of what he's seeing, what, uh, what we need for this team. What did he do that the Browns haven't done in God knows how long? He looked at what we need. For in during the NFL draft, he picked up a person for he picked up a great left tackle to beef up our offensive line. He picked up people like Jack Conklin 
to help boost our offensive line, which was one of the worst in the NFL last year, to now it's one of the best in the NFL, period. Um, picking up players like Austin Hooper, who have that Pro Bowl experience, that little bit of veteran experience, hopefully to get some of these people to uh, step up and hopefully have you know he'll be able to be there in a mentoring role for a lot of these new players up and coming. Um, Stefanski, I'm going to le- go back to here because of the fact that he was able to change the playbook around and play to a lot of these players' strengths while hiding their weaknesses. He was able to turn this team into a complete football team. Uh, the biggest reason that we didn't do as well as we c- even could have, even, what, even though we went 11-5 and this year during the regular season, is because our defense needed to step it up, and they just didn't. Uh, that at least was what I attribute to the quick turnaround. Uh, what were the steps that it took to get from uh, what the Browns were in 2017 to what they are in 2020? Um, the biggest thing was I will, I'll even, contr- I'll even throw this in here. And as big of a surprise, I know this is going to be to you and anyone else that's listening right now. I'm going to attribute a big key piece of our turnaround to Sashi Brown because of him stockpiling the picks that he did. I'm going to attribute a lot of our turnaround to John Dorsey because he turned those picks that we had stockpiled into a lot of good acquisitions of players that we're still holding on to uh, somewhat and a lot of key players too in the positions that they're in, like the Miles Garrett, like the Baker Mayfield. Um. And then Barry is taking all of that and is forming a complete team with everyone else that's around him, all these recruiters, all these consultants, all these scouts, working with Stefanski and his coaching staff, getting everything together and forming this complete team. There's no question about it that Sashi Brown and John Dorsey definitely deserve a lot of credit for this turnaround because uh, Sashi Brown stack, stockpiled the draft picks and, and John Dorsey hit the lottery with getting a team that had a lot of, of lottery picks because of Sashi Brown. Um, no question about it. Those two deserve a lot of credit for the team turning around as fast as they did or as fast as it did. Um, I attribute the success this season to Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski. Mainly, I attribute this year's success to Kevin Stefanski because he really took the team in a direction where he had a shitty offseason with COVID and really uh, really got this team on the ground, uh, hit the ground running. Um, but one of the biggest things I'm going to attribute our success to is Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield came into a situation, he came into a football team that was 0-16, in 2017 gets drafted number one in 2018 and basically has the franchise on his shoulders. He's supposed to be the franchise savior. And that's a lot of pressure for a guy that just came out of college. And if we look at past years with the Browns drafting high, getting quarterbacks are supposed to be franchise saviors. It's backfired every year and him looking at the history, he just shrugged it off and basically admitted that I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that's going to turn this team around. Just wait. And I was at the game his first appearance against the Jets, the uh, the Thursday night game or the Monday night game I was at, and the roar of the crowd when he came out there was just something that I have never heard before at a Browns game. It was There was just something in the air, and it's almost in that moment when I realized that 
I think Baker's going to be that guy. There's just something about him. He went out there into a situation and was throwing bullets. He brought the team back, won their first game they had won in over two years. And I think he has proved how special he has been. Even, even last year with Freddie Kitchens, there was still something special. And his moxie, his swagger has been something that has rejuvenated this team, brought, brought moxie to this team. And they have a certain cockiness and edginess that's not cockiness to the point where you hate it. It's the cockiness the Cleveland Browns haven't been able to establish in 20 years. And they finally have that that chip off their shoulder, and they're playing with a purpose. And they're playing like it's time for us to be that team that people fear. We're not. We're no, people don't long, long, no longer look at the schedule and say, the Cleveland Browns, we're playing them next week. That's an easy win. That's not the case anymore. We are to the point now where the Browns are going to be feared. They're going to be that competitor. And the national media, they better wake up because the Cleveland Browns have arrived. And in the words of Jim Rome, the Cleveland Browns are America's team. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, what do you think the 2021 Browns will look like? I believe, by, based upon what Andrew Barry has said about the number one priority being to build the defense up, I am a firm believer that if they do this and they go out and they mix some good draft picks along with some veteran defensive players and they beef up the defense and make them ruthless and cutthroat, I firmly believe the Cleveland Browns could be in the Super Bowl next year. I think they could be. I think they, they proved they can beat the Chiefs. They're on the same page with them. And if you can get past the Chiefs like, like they almost did, you can get past anybody in the NFL because the Chiefs are one of the league's best, and the Browns proved they could stick with them. So I firmly believe the Browns could very well be in the 2021 Super Bowl next year. My thoughts for the 2021 Browns are going to be a lot like what you just said. If what Andrew Barry is saying is true and that he's going to look at how to beef up our defense, whether it be through the draft, through the uh, free agency market, through trades, anything that you can do. If you can beef up our defense to a level that you expect in the NFL, mm -hmm. and you can manage to keep our offense almost fully intact – if you can do that, I can see there being a rematch between the Browns and the Chiefs in the AFC again in the wild card, or not in the wild card, but in the uh, divisional playoff round. The Browns will get by them this time, and we're going to be looking at a Browns team that will not only make the Super Bowl, but I think are going to be the dark horse Super Bowl winners. Okay, so we are down to the final two questions because the last question on this list is basically what we've covered weekly on our podcast. So the second to last question is, Jason, what positions could the Browns draft in the upcoming draft to help improve the team? As we've been saying throughout this whole interview process here, defense, 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 defense. You're going to be mainly looking at your secondary. You're going to be looking especially at linebacker, you're going to be looking at cornerback, and you're going to be looking at safety. What can you do to improve at those fields? Um, only thing other than that would be possibly looking into free agency 
seeing if there's a good option available there. If not for there, then you look at that option for beefing up our defensive line more than you already have. Uh, those are going to be what you want to look at if you are Andrew Barry right now. Um, are going to be nothing more than you're looking at straight-up defense. You already have a solid offense right now. You can only improve from here with the offensive weaponry that we have. If you can get them all on the same page, they've got this chemistry now. Like we were just said in the previous question, if we, we get that complete package together with our defense being boosted by drafts, by uh, trades, by free agency, we've got a team that will not only make it to the Super Bowl, we will possibly win it all. I seriously think it's no question that defense is the Browns' top priority. As a matter of fact, I'd be fine if the entire draft, the Browns just draft all defense because let's find a guy that might be that statement maker on defense. Um, of course, you're going to sign veteran guys, of course, but draft all defense and see who works out in training camp, see who's worth keeping, you know. Um, work them out in the combine. But you're absolutely right. Linebacker and safety, and I'm even a firm believer that, you know what, go out and look for another defensive lineman. Beef up the defensive line just a little bit more. Add one more guy on that line that really puts pressure in the center of that line because you already have two good guys on the left and right side. Add a guy right in the middle, the Browns' defensive line will be absolutely ruthless. So defensive line, linebacker, and safety. You have two good corners, I think, in Denzel Ward and potentially Delpid and and Greedy Williams. So I think you're fine at corner, I think, for now. Um, but definitely address those three things. That's that's key going forward. All right. And the final question here it would be, what other changes would you like to see made in the upcoming offseason? There's not an overabundance of changes that I feel like that need to be had. Um, the offensive line is still very strong. You're fine at running back. You're fine at quarterback. Uh, if, if you want to add another wide receiver, I mean, go ahead. I don't really think it's absolutely necessary. Uh, they have depth. Um, but if you want to add another guy just to make things interesting, go ahead. Um, but it just comes down to mainly defense. And I personally, people might say, what about a kicker? I wouldn't draft a kicker. The Browns have been down that path. It hasn't worked with Cybert. It didn't work with Zane Gonzalez. So go out and find a veteran kicker because I don't think Cody Parkey's your guy. Um, I just think that down the stretch, he missed a lot of kicks, and I don't know if it's the pressure or what it is, but I think you need to give Cody Parkey some competition in training camp because I don't think he's going to be your guy going forward. You need somebody more reliable. I will agree. Um, at least get someone uh, to add to our kicking uh, core to just to give Cody Parkey competition. I think if you give him that competition, we're going to see more coming out of Cody Parkey. And they're all, if you add that second kicker onto the team, they're only both going to naturally make each other better, I think, but through competition. So I think that if that would probably be the only real big other change I want to see us make is just that. I think we don't really need to worry about picking up any wide receivers. Uh, running backs, hell no. The only thing we need to do is give Chubb and Hunt extensions, like we're giving, like we should be giving to Mayfield. Um, that that we've got our 
our offense, for the most part, is pretty well taken care of. I just think that we deserve to have another kicker added onto our team just to give uh, Parky that bit of competitive edge to him. Yeah, no question about it. The Browns on the offensive side of the ball are strong, and there's not much they need, I think, at all on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're fine as is. It's just all defense and then the kicking situation. I, I think we both agree with that. It's just that's what the team's biggest weaknesses are, and they fix those. They're going to be uh, definitely contenders next year, no question about it. All right, and like Mike had just talked about, uh, this last question is just, what do you have any thoughts and opinions on any of the following individual games that might be interesting? Um, for that, I would say uh, check out our podcast at Dog Pound Nation, the Cleveland Browns podcast. Uh, we our answers, our answers for those that question in particular is going to be listed in all the previous episodes if you want to go through and check them out. Um, other than that, is there anything else you want to go ahead and add, Mike? No, I think just to close out things for the season, um, of course, our season premiere will more than likely be the NFL draft, maybe do a live feed during the NFL draft. Uh, you can watch with us. So we will return. It looks like in April. So, uh, you won't see us for a while, at least on here, but you can see us on lights, camera, action, entertainment reviews quite often. Um, so you can see us there for a while, for a few months. Um, but overall, I think I'll just close out with this, that the Cleveland Browns have distilled hope back in the city. Um, they have they have done something very special this year, especially with things going on with COVID. They made it a season to remember. They were the one highlight of the year when we were filled with darkness this season, and we still are, and... All I can say is I hope that next season we can go back to having fans in the stands, being able to attend training camps and being able to do some things normal again. But um, all I want to do is say thank you to the Cleveland Browns and the organization for truly creating a truly memorable 2020 season. It, it really was nothing short of memorable. So I've, I've got nothing bad to say about this year at all. We can only keep going up from here and, it's going to be amazing once we actually do hit that point. Yeah. Uh, so with that, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dog Pound Nation signing off for the last time this season. We'll see you for the 2021 NFL Draft in Cleveland. Go Browns. Go Browns.